It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Topo Chico is Monterey, Mexico fizzy water. Oh, really? That's probably the best fizzy water you can get. Like it's way better than LaCroix. Really? I think so. And then and then now they're putting booze in it? Now they're putting booze in it. And apparently they're, this company, like every company is owned by Coca-Cola or something. <laughs> so it like all goes back to one company. But it's interesting. I, I've been seeing the White Claws around the crags and it's you know it's this low calorie alcoholic beverage that climbers are now imbibing yeah for sure i started seeing it last summer a lot it was kind of the 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 tip of the of the or the first curl of the wave yeah of the white claws at the crag i'm drinking a claw right now yeah i'm 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 not i'm i'm you're going have you're going high calorie high calorie pacifica high carb i basically only drink mexican beer in the summertime well, dude, the, you're going to love the the Topo Chico, Topo Chico. alcoholic. Yeah, because I can do both. Yeah. <laughs> right. I can do my sort of, you know, cross-border cultural appropriation and then, uh, and then but I can drink fizzy water with exactly. alcohol in it. So, you know, it's like when I was in high school, it was wine coolers. Right. Then there was Zima. Do you guys remember Zima? Zima. Yeah, but yeah. that was, I feel like this is a different era. Well, because, it is a different era, but I'm yeah. just saying like, the alcoholic beverage where, quote unquote, you can't taste the alcohol. Yeah, right. And that is like, I heard it tonight when they were right. uh, talking about uh, talking about White Claws, you mm-hmm. know, can't taste the alcohol. And uh, my friend Chris, who was there, uh, other Chris, actually my uh, sort of mother-in-law, I guess my mother-in-law's boyfriend, mm. he uh, he said, well, yeah, but I like the taste of the alcohol mm. and it's but it, and it, you know so it's this thing where there's always a drink for the people that want to get shitty but don't want to taste the alcohol right right <laughs> so i guess climbers fit into that apparently with the white claws i th- i feel like th- I, I feel like Lacroix and like all of these like fizzy water drinks are just gateway drugs for this new era of alcoholic fizzy waters okay yeah no that's how it works i yeah. think usually it starts as a non-alcoholic thing because you know it's like after lunch i'll crack a you know a fizzy water <laughs> of some kind or another and now it may as well just have alcohol in it to get a freaking air st- or a soda stream you can't though right i can't man no. yeah that's like anti isn't it from palace it's yeah it's like a bds company that I actually did have a um, a soda stream, and my father was upset with me about that, so I had to throw it out. Oh man, now I feel bad too, because <laughs> dude, I drink gallons of that. <laughs> I think it's fine. I mean, whatever. It's, yeah, I don't like water. Yeah, water's so boring. Yeah, I don't. I just don't. It's like a varietal. Like you can't. You not You never know what you're going to get. Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super into just drinking. It's basically water. and mostly water now. It's just like all chlorine. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, and the fluoride. white 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 claw nation. So <laughs> if white claw is listening to this, we are definitely open to a white claw sponsorship. <laughs> We're done with sponsors, right? Are now. Are we? I think wait, wait. Who is I? Is white claw some other conglomerate? It's probably owned like by like some MBEV terrible or company. whatever. The the guys that own uh, Budweiser, the I Belgian think it's a company, Coke brother operation. 
<laughs> just to keep us all dumb and <laughs> dumb and submissive. <laughs> the booze. Yeah, dude, we're done with sponsors, which is good because we're we're mixing up the show format and we're getting creative, which you know, we started out this year talking about just like doing a redux on what we had been doing with this podcast so far far mm-hmm. and just like we talked about, you know, our uh <laughs> our resolutions and Oh shit. <laughs> Remember yours? <laughs> my um I didn't yeah. live up to mine either. <laughs> I know. I picked it my resolution was uh to not be cynical. You picked the wrong year. I picked the wrong year for that. To stop sniffing glue, my friend. I know. <laughs> to reference the old airplane movie. I mean, this has been the most cynical year <laughs> I think Christ. that I could have. Yeah, you set yourself up. It, it couldn't be done. That was a that was a Herculean well, task. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Because I feel bad about Because you were doing okay. I was doing okay until it got canceled. Yeah. And, um, you got canceled. There's coronavirus. <laughs> Democracy is basically disappearing. Like, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be cynical totally. about at the moment. I think it would have been like a gargantuan task to, I would have uh, needed to get to, through the year just like, everything's fine. Everything's awesome. I would have needed to be an artificial intelligence program totally. for optimism or right, something. Right, right, right. Yeah. So next year, baby. Yeah, next That might year. be your chance. We'll see what happens by December. Actually... Probably 2022, let's face it. <laughs> 2022 is your year. Maybe I should dude. just embrace cynicism 2022 for the rest of the year. 2022 is your, your, your optimism year. Okay. So we'll put it on the You calendar. got a year and a half, is all. Well, so, so get it out. Get your cynicism out. Uh, you know, I feel like I've been doing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you'll I'll make just, it, though. I feel like it's just smooth sailing until 2022. <laughs> your spleen is empty. <laughs> Isn't it the spleen? Just me and my white claws in a boat of cynicism. <laughs> well, you know what mine was? Uh, checking your email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not just my, not my email, but specifically the run out email. How am and I doing on that? responding to it. How am I doing on that? Terrible. Listeners, is anyone going to back me up that I've responded to you? I'm you terrible. I know, you haven't responded to one. But if you've been reading them, I don't even know a little if you bit. get them. Yeah, I get them. I read them. A little bit like you... I dip in and then I'm just like, oh, fuck, there's like 40 of them. Oh, my God, there's that many more. And then I'm like, oh, my God, there's all my normal cast ones. And then there's all my personal ones. And then I'm like, oh, I got to get a drink. White well, you, Claw. But you've been busy Sad. this year. I've, we, uh, yeah, but we're, everyone's busy. You yeah, know? But you've been very busy with a, a, an artistic project. An artistic project that I posted on uh, on the Instagram. Yeah, the, uh, which is amazing. Instagram, the, the rebuild of the camper. It's amazing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, but it's also like amazingly time consuming. Yeah. And it's been uh it's been a drain on a lot of other artistic uh endeavors. Right. And it's not really artistic, but it is craftsmanship. Yeah. You're um, working with of your a hands. high order, so um yeah, it's coming together. Should be done in a couple of weeks, supposedly. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It's going to be new, the new uh studio for the new you. new studio for everything. Your... Yeah, yeah, the Mark II. Right. We got our um we got our license plate and it says Dr. J on it. So I don't know how that's going to fit into the the moniker cuz we haven't really named it yet. The the vessel and it's a it's a, originally it was a as 1972 Aloha hmm. travel trailer, but it's uh it's gone. That's gone. Right. The bones are or something else now. So we have to find a new name for it. So maybe the Dr. J reference will be in there. Julius Irving. Who right. knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dr. Joyride. I don't know. I don't know how you did that. I just, I, I came over and checked out your, 
your progress and it just stressed me out to all end because it was I, I just knew how much thought how much hours and thought and, yeah it's yeah. the thought it's not just the you're not just like screwing wood into other pieces <laughs> of wood it's like the amount of thought and just like diving in down the youtube hole to oh, watch yeah, for sure. other people to figure out what you're right. doing yeah i just that stressed me out god bless youtube though <laughs> you know what i found that's amazing is uh this is just a quick uh endorsement i guess is samson boat company hmm. check out the samson boat company okay. youtube this kid hey, he's not a kid he's probably in his 30s but he looks like a kid he's rebuilding this yacht this 1910 yacht and uh yeah and it humbles me knowing what i'm doing versus what he's actually doing which is this gigantic boat project and like restoring it not just rebuilding it so that could be your 2022 project yeah exactly i'll get a boat i'm not a real water guy so. i'll try to be positive in 2022 yeah, yeah, and about you can my build boat, a boat. <laughs> <laughs> you just be positive about my boat <laughs> anyway when i'm when i'm being crushed by a beam um all right back to our format change so we're just changing things up you guys will hear it yeah it, it'll make sense I yeah think. it'll make sense yeah but yeah you know part of the uh you know, the era we find ourselves in is where life around us is changing and, you know, people are working from home. They're having to find new um, places to install their children. And so we're just mixing up what we're doing too. Right. Um, not necessarily in response to COVID, but just to keep the creativity fresh. Yeah, for and, sure. And this, and what people don't know is that, this thing actually, the concept was very different than what it became. Right. And it reminds me of, um, I, I had a band in Carbondale, which you, you've seen, you saw, but probably more than once, the Sector 7G band. Oh, yeah. And we imagined ourselves when we started as like, we were going to do like funky jazz kind of shit. But it turned out that we actually couldn't play that. Mm. Um, so it's like, it, it just... It, it, we fell into our sort of strengths, which was playing rock and roll. And then, you know, 10 years later when we finally sort of quit the band, we were actually that band that we we had planned to be in the beginning. And so it's, it kind of feels like that. Like we had these these big sort of ideas about how the show would work, but then, you know, I fell into patterns that go with the enormous cast and you were new to podcasting. And so right. it's like, it became what it became. We're almost without our control. Right. Um, and so now we're sort of stepping back and kind of rejiggering it and seeing if we can like, push it into a, a different direction that challenges me in a different way and challenges yeah. you in a different way. Yeah. And I think just like cutting out the bullshit is the basic idea, you know, just like, as we're like 10 point. minutes into just bullshitting. Yeah. I mean, this is good bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So hopefully you guys like this. And, um, if you don't, then, in 2022, we'll come up with a yeah, new we'll format. Yeah, we'll do a new t- format, 2022. It's, it'll be on ham radio by then, though, <laughs> because the internet will have disappeared in the chaos of the uh, revolution. So we'll just be beeping it out from our bunker. Don't they use ham radio, the prepper guys? Um, I don't know. Thing, yeah. I know they have buckets of Bibles. Buckets of Bibles, yeah. Yeah. Our guest today is a guy whose tick list looks like it could be a complete compilation of the hardest routes in America, Jonathan Seacrest. J-Star is one of America's best sport climbers and most stoker active professional climbers in the game today. Give it up for J-Star. 
When I started my career in climbing, if you will, uh, I finished my college education in 2009. And in the beginning, when I left college, the wildest dream that I could have was, I was like, I think one of my brands might pay for me to go to Europe. That'd be like insane, you know? I was being supported a bit by my dad, but I, I was mostly working. Like what I was doing is I'd work you were like half a root time. Setter. I was a root setter at the Boulder yeah. Rock Club. And they were incredibly important for my success in climbing, not only because it was a training facility, but also because they allowed me to root set two or three months and then go on the road for two or three months mm-hmm. and then come back and like do that like, kind of indefinitely. But it's true that, you know, at least for years, 2009, 2010, 11, you know, the first European climbing trip I ever took was in 2012. And I went with Keith Lezinski to the Verdon. And then afterwards, I spent some time in Seyus. And um, I was like completely blown away by everything. And then I spent the following years mostly in the States just because I didn't, yeah, like I said, I didn't have the resources. And then as soon as those resources came my way, it, it was a perfect combination of both having the ability to go monetarily, but also feeling like I really was ready for the next level, you know? And in retrospect, if I had the same opportunities that a lot of newer climbers have now, I probably would just go like straight to Oleana because I see, see all the photos and you're like, this is totally insane. And you think of it as like the pinnacle of hard sport climbing. But I'm actually really, really happy that I was more or less forced to stay in the States, be creative, find new things. You know, that's when I discovered my passion for root development as well. And so I think the way it actually worked out in the end, I'm really, really happy with. I had plans to basically be out of the country almost the entire year. And now because of COVID. This year. This year in in 2020. And now because of COVID, it's like I'm digging through the guidebooks like I used to. I'm like digging deep into the mountain project. That's funny. I was just talking to you. I just asked Clues about this like random crag in Summit County because there are a ton of random hidden gems, both to explore, maybe there's potential there, but right. also I love that mode of being, just like being in the pickup truck, checking out new things and uh, rediscovering old stuff, but also, you know, potentially discovering newer things too and stuff like that. So I think, you know, and realistically, as much as I'd love to go to, <laughs> as much as I'd love to go to, to europe or something this fall i just don't think it's feasible so i'm i'm starting to like concoct some insane road trip or something in my head in some way to stay psyched oh yeah it's not feasible they don't they do not want you there (laughs) they don't they really don't don't. i i I heard earlier (laughs) that they said they'll let americans in as soon as america's numbers are better than eus right and i'm like okay well that's that's gonna gonna be be never like in a decade yeah (laughs) you'll be like retiring yeah um hopefully they're not talking about like educational achievement (laughs) or like anything yeah yeah well you know it's also makes me think too like these european trips it's really hard to dip into a place you didn't you know explore put the time in and then find an actual like great line for ascent because even a lot of the things that have been attributed to, you know, let's say American climbers over there, they it was actually a lot of it was previously bolted and was abandoned Absolutely. or passed on to somebody or something like that. So, you know, just the thought of like, oh, I'm going to go find a new line in the Verdon or something like that. Right. I mean, it, you got to spend years there really to know to look at that wall and know, OK, this is that one and that's that one. And oh, maybe there's not something here, you know. Um, totally. So, yeah, it, I think it probably would have. Maybe put you on like a more 
typical path and instead of what you have done, which has really been this monster developer of American hard sport climbing. But what he's doing here is not as easy as just throwing a rope down in the Verdone. I mean, like the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> our crags are not that accessible sure, easy, sure. that was know? one like example the, but yeah. yeah we get like 20 feet of verdone rock and it, you have to hike like two hours to get to yeah it, and, and we celebrated on the internet for yeah. for decades yeah because there's a there's like a, a tufa hold in the middle of <laughs> yeah <it> exactly <laughs> like look at this tufa you're like that's the five nine part dude the, yeah like, yeah know, exactly but, you're uh, like dude whatever <laughs> there there's a route at uh the grail or a lime kiln in uh near outside of mesquite it's actually, I think it's in Arizona, but it's just outside of uh, Southwest Utah area. Right. And there's this incredible two pitch 12B called Vesper that Keith shot like ages ago. And everyone's drooled over the photo for literally 10 years now. I mean, that crag is really good. And there's incredible rock all throughout Southwest Utah and in Southern Nevada. But still, it's just funny to hear people continually talk about Vesper because like if Arno Petit came and he saw Vesper, he'd be like, what? what? <laughs> he'd be right, like, right. what? You guys, there's... 7,500 feet of this, like, you know, within walking distance of my backyard that no one's even messed with just because, like, you know, it's brown and we like blue rock better. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. We, I, that, um, that trip where Keith shot those photos of Vesper, um, that was part of a feature that we put together for Rock and Ice. And we got funding from the Mesquite Tourism Department to send us down there. And they, like, put us up in a, in a casino for a couple nights and, like, got us like a golf we like played golf or oh no way oh my god that's awesome got us tickets to a golf or whatever i don't know take do you get tickets to a golf course i don't Uh, know tea time whatever i have no idea i only Um, played once so yeah but it was it was hilarious that's funny yeah and keith i had never like really gambled at that point and keith just like rolls into the whatever casino we were staying at throws a hundred dollars down at the roulette table and instantly doubles his money and just like nothing and i was like okay that's how you do it cool cool. (laughs) why haven't i been doing this all my life Yeah, yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like something that like Corey Rich would do too, like yeah. would be able to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like move in those circles without any problem whatsoever. I think Corey's too smart about oh, right. uh, to to gamble. I think Keith is Yeah, probably. You. Yeah, Keith Keith lives his life on the seat of the, yeah. on the edge of the seat. Exactly. So. Right, right, right. So well, you've been climbing back in rifle and talked to just a moment ago was mentioning how sort of cool it was to be back in Colorado, which is, mm. you know, where you grew up mm-hmm. and became a climber. Um, and rifle was a, certainly a testing ground all through your youth and, and coming up. So what's it like to be back in the Canyon? Actually, to slightly correct that statement, I, I didn't spend a lot of time in rifle. I held out really long. Oh, okay. Um, and eventually I did. And, you know, I think my first trip there was like nine years ago or something like that. I went to, oh no, 10 years ago, actually, and I remember why. It's because I really wanted to climb Kryptonite. I was like obsessed with Tommy Caldwell and historic roots were really meaningful to me. And I was like, if I'm going to ever climb 14D, it's going to be Kryptonite. But I also knew that I was going to suck at that style because I'd never touched rifle. I climbed a little bit at Industrial Wall and that's kind of similar to rifle style, like a little bit knee bar and stuff. But basically my first trip ever to rifle I was very intent on the idea of improving that skill set so that I could climb kryptonite. And so I think I came for like a month or two in 2010, mm-hmm. like for that distinct purpose. And I remember getting my ass totally crushed, like like most people do when they first go to rifle. I'm going to uh, call bullshit on that because Uh-oh. I remember <laughs> it must have been around that time that you were 
uh, in rifle and clearly not being crushed by the climbing there. <laughs> I remember you warming up on living in fear, doing like top rope laps on it, back, like two back to back laps on it. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, that's really nuts. And I don't know anyone else who can do that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Mursky could do that yeah. blindfolded with that's one true. leg probably, but still, um, it was probably some. Maybe that was after I had gone through my rite of passage of okay. getting hammered okay. and rifled. Well, that makes me feel. It's better. all relative, man. It's all relative. <laughs> it's you all relative. Yeah, yeah, you can't like. Yeah, you got to just be like, well, it's however he felt. Yeah, because uh, uh, obviously, thirteen D feels myself. like five eight yeah, to J star. Right, right. <laughs> not so, exactly, but it's cool that you're back in Colorado and yeah, um, thanks and traveling around and and mm-hmm. trying to make the best of this. So. We tried to do a series, but it didn't last long enough, which is telling actually about what's going on right now in the country, but that we we were going to like talk to climbers in isolation, like when it was the full lockdown oh, like, back yeah. in March and April. And we did yeah. a few, mm-hmm. um, but all of a sudden it was over. You know, everybody was out and about again, but we're still in this time of bizarreness and changes to how we, how we you know, go about our business. Like you're not going to go to Europe, whether you like it or not, actually, right, exactly. at this point. Maybe you'd already made that decision. I think a lot of people had already made decisions to not travel, even if when it was open. But um, so, what does that look like for you? I mean, you had to stay local in Vegas. Like, what's this kind of semi lockdown of the last few months look like for someone who would? I mean, summer you would have been banging out freaking clinics and going to <laughs> festivals. You know, it's that's like, true. Yeah, I mean, that's how we see each other most of the time. Totally. Yeah. And so yeah. So I mean, what is what's changed? What's the last few months looked for? Look like for you in this kind of semi lockdown strange moment. Um. Well, I'll try and keep it short and sweet. I mean, a lot of our plans changed dramatically. We were actually, yeah, we were in Italy. Uh, We arrived there, I think, the first day of March. And even when we were set to leave, it was, you know, we were probably one of the first people to buy like face masks and hand sanitizer on Amazon because we were kind of going into like the war zone, you know, but we also had reason to believe that we would be okay and and that things would, would hopefully improve. Basically, we went to Italy. We were planning to be there for quite a while. Uh, that trip was cut dramatically short, obviously. I mean, it was kind of like this roller coaster of everything's fine here, but, you know, friends are texting us, asking us if we're dead and this things. And, sure. Y- you know, we'd go to the crag and we'd be there alone and be in the sun. There's like some snow on the ground. We're like, oh, this is incredible. This is great. We come back, go to the grocery store and then get into our, into our apartment and like open our phones and be like, oh my God, the world is ending, you know? And, and meanwhile, we've had this beautiful day <laughs> mm-hmm. where like, you know, there's no worries and it's all great. And eventually I think we got a bit tired of that like roller coaster of feeling like we might, we like, we should change our plans now to then being like, everything's fine. We're like getting close on our projects. Like, let's make it happen. But you know, the, the thing, the tipping point for us was when travel from the EU was just gonna begin to cease and we were like all right screw it so then we we actually woke up one morning planning to climb and then within like three hours we were like you know aggressively driving the streets to the airport to like just just be like screw it we're like gonna pull the band-aid and get out of here right so we came back from that and i had a lot of pent-up energy because i had spent months training for this trip to italy and i felt really good in my climbing but there wasn't much that i could do we ended up spending Several weeks, mostly just at home. I, got, I did some like house projects. I built some things around the house, like random stuff like that. But eventually, as <laughs> things started things. to, you know, just <laughs> what's that? I don't know. I just built it during this. <laughs> this. We, we sometimes we can put a plant on it, but other times we're not sure. <laughs> yeah, if you turn it sideways, it has a whole new meaning. <laughs> 
I, I just needed something to put my energy into. And I, you know, I couldn't even go it. The gyms weren't even closed, but some of the gym owners had asked me not to come in, which I completely understand because we'd just been in Italy. All right. And members all right. knew that we were in Italy and they were like, you know, I'm not coming in if there was, you know, and, and no hard feelings at all. I totally get it. So I couldn't even really train. I, but I did some random, I built some things in the house I could train on and, you know, it was like just making the best of it. And then about, you know, several weeks later or a month later, as things, it was kind of like early April ish, as things started to slowly open or seem like it was more okay to go outside. We're also blessed to have so many areas in Southern Nevada that are super obscure where you'd right. never see a soul anyways. But it didn't take long for me to realize that the best use of my energy was going to be root development. Because A, if you're bolting on your root, chances are that no one's been there before or no one's going to be there. And B, you know, I was like able to be completely alone, put all of my like pent up energy into something that felt productive. And then, you know, see, I, I was like eager to share this with the climbing community and, and have a sense that I was doing something that had some meaning, you know, outside of just like building a pergola in my backyard or, you know, I was like, this could be cool if I spend some months doing this and, and then, you know, like later this year or next year or whatever, then everyone else has something to enjoy and like some kind of silver lining comes right. from this thing. Right. So that's. That's all I did for three months is uh, a couple different cliffs um, in the Vegas area. I just put one in particular, but a couple different cliffs in the Vegas area. I just put an enormous amount of energy into. And I probably put like 30 roots up or something, cleaning, wow. bolting, everything. And, and you know, I, I put up some 512s and 511s, but I was really searching for hard stuff. And I got uh, a handful of really, really hard projects for the future out of it. So that was another really, really cool feeling for me was feeling like even if I don't get to put all this training to use and even if I don't meet any of my performance goals for the first half of this year, I still have like these little nuggets that I can come back to. Cause I think I probably realistically have three or four se three seasons of really hard projects to keep me busy now right. because of the work I did over the last three months. And so that's an amazing feeling, you know, like feeling like I kind of paid it forward a little bit. How many routes do you think you've developed in the, in the U S I think I gave like a rough count and it was like 80 to a hundred. That was before like this little like uh campaign of development that I've done now. So I bet it's like a hundred or 110 or something like, mm -hmm. like roughly like that. And what do you, what's your like nine a and up count for root first ascents in the U S <sighs> I don't know. Uh, remind me again check. what nine a is. I don't know. I just hear that that's an important number. <laughs> it is now the number nine, yeah. which is higher than eight. I mean, like you could be. I, I asked that because uh, so few. No, seriously, you back, guys know what nine A is. It's fourteen D. Yeah, it's fourteen D. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. I know. I, you I were mean, making I, a joke. No, no. I, I, I first the listeners. But you don't also, know the conversion off the top of your head. I'm Dude. always a little vague about it. Come on. I know that. I know that one of them lines up. Is it seven B? Seven B is twelve B. Yeah. <laughs> That's That'll get you start. anywhere you need to go. And then I got to go plus, and then I got to do like two minutes of calculating to get up to 9A. Yeah, yeah. Might, might, you, might, you, need, right. you might need a pen and paper to get all the way to 9A. Anyway. <laughs> or not. I hear that they're putting go that on. On, on dementia tests. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be hard, actually. It would be hard. If you have to extrapolate 9A from 7B. 
That'd be rough. Yeah. Our president had yeah. to figure out what 7C plus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excuse me, Donald Trump. 12B <laughs> is to 7B <laughs> as 9A is to question mark. <laughs> that's sick. Actually, that'd be, that'd be hard to do. That's He's the whole like, bummer. This is a picture of, of an elephant. Yeah. And the whole like. Yeah. like. Can you point to the elephant? Great bummer. We're on in this whole tangent. But the great bummer about that system compared to the US is the fucking 7C plus. Like oh, here in the I states, know. you get your 13A, you get your like benchmark, and there you're like God, oh, 7C plus. So, but you get your 9A when it's only 14 d Yeah, that's true. So, so it comes you, back yeah, around you, if you climb it hard comes back around. Jonathan yeah. Segrist gets the gets the win on that because because <laughs> Chris Kalus climbs 7C plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get the 7A bonus though. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so I know we're on a tangent, but I'm just gonna finish this thought. <laughs> I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and I think that we should internationally agree to use the V scale for boulders, mm. use the Euro, the French scale for sport routes, use YDS for walls and trad routes. Mm. Dude, I am. I've been saying that too. I think years. it's like the way. Yeah. I, I like. I think it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Yeah, well, and crikey, then they're, and then they're all three clearly separate. You know, if you right. say. We were at the crag yesterday doing a bunch of 12 C's. Then you know that there were trad 12 C's uh, or you're like this big wall is, you know, grade four, 13 a, then you know what you're getting into. Right. Whereas then if you say we were climbing seven A's, or if you say I was climbing like a bunch of V fours, because the problem is, is that the French bouldering and roots, you know, it always gets crazy. Oh yeah. Totally. Are, yeah. That confuses me. Just annoying. And that confuses me too. Meanwhile, Australians are like, yeah, that's what makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nike. <laughs> it's like we just go one harder yeah yeah it's 32 now yeah exactly it's 33 now yeah. <laughs> i mean we can all like agree that it's hard, just not neat enough I'm hard sorry, very guys. severe or yeah. whatever the british system is makes no sense let's, no let's go back to that <laughs> <laughs> hard very severe <laughs> anyhow were we do we I don't care about what question? we were talking okay. about um yeah no. so how many nine a's have you done <laughs> <laughs> come on you know it's tattooed on your arm i can see it right there no um first no, ascents first i actually sense, don't yeah. know i'd have to like count through it um i know how many i've done not first sense mm. but um i only ask that I, I bring that up only because you've contributed so many hard routes to the u.s and you don't i don't feel like you get enough credit for that yeah i don't know just like the like you said, the all the media's around like what's going on at Oleana, what's going on right, at, at yeah. these like mega crags, and it's not like, oh, here's Jonathan doing some random ass climb in the middle of nowhere that I've <laughs> never heard of, and and so I, I, yeah. I just bring it up in that context that your contributions I think are much more significant than I think people realize. Oh, oh, thanks, dude. Seriously, like that means a lot, and. I, so I remember having this conversation. You're like 27 with, nine A's. <laughs> not not in the U.S. I don't think I've I don't think I've done that many in the U.S. And again, I'd have to I'd have to talk I have to think about it. But it's it's probably like ten. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Yeah. We wanted to also talk about being a dirtbag. Oh yeah, the lost art. Yeah, this is a, a perennial topic this that Chris and I talk about. We had a conversation the other day where mm-hmm. you're just kind of, you know maybe like bemoaning the loss of the culture yeah. of what that means to like you know live frugally and not you know 
be forced to do things like hike two hours to some random cliff in the U S cause you can't buy a ticket to go to Europe. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't know if that, if you, what your thoughts on, on the dirtbag scene is in the U S and, and maybe in general, but yeah, we, we had a conversation about this a few days ago, as you mentioned, this has been on my mind quite a bit because climbing as we're all very well aware is changing quite a bit. And as I was trying to express to you before, the challenge of climbing, clipping anchors and stuff like this, of course that matters to me. I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about training and the challenge and all these things and like trying hard and crimps and slopers and all that crap. But the real gift that I feel that climbing has given me are all the moments, all the people and the places, like the vehicle that climbing is to give you purpose and to take you places and to meet people and to do new things. And I I can't tell you how many times in my life I've thought to myself, you know, I'm in a beautiful place and the sun is setting or, you know, I've just met some great people or we're having beers or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, I'd never be here if it weren't for climbing. And I, and I don't just mean about that moment. I mean the place and the, you know, everything. And it's pretty cool because there aren't that many pursuits in life that take you to such weird places and that give you purpose and drive to go to Southeast Idaho, you know, or to El Paso, Texas, you know what I mean? And, and yet we, we as climbers, we see so much value in all these places and, and, and to most Americans, they might be valueless, you know, but we, we love to see them and we love to go there. And so the reason that I mentioned that and, and the reason I talk about that gift that climbing has given me is that I fear that experience of exploration and travel and really domestic travel in particular. Yeah, just exploration and adventure is something that newer generations are as interested in. And I don't know if that's, if they care or... it's the unknown? It's like no one wants to go... You know, if you're tasked with, you know, 60 hours of driving to go somewhere you've never heard of or seen before, you know, like, what's, what's the point? I'd rather just go somewhere where I know it's good. The rock's good. And everyone is already posting photos of, of this. The beta and, you know, yeah, totally. And, and those things are great too. I just feel like I was given so much through that pursuit that I hope. And I always wished that other people would have the same. And I've been trying to think of ways to share my feelings about traveling and traveling alone and meeting new climbing partners on your own and finding a random campsite in the middle of the night and hiking to that obscure place that's like entirely a bushwhack, you know, and being the first one to reach route after 20 years or being the first one to bolter route or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, even just route development how many people that you know that are under 40 or 35 are bolting routes in the US? Right. It, the list is incredibly small. And so I just implore younger climbers to try to find the value in these things that I'm talking about because as much as I care about performance and I, and I think that a lot of younger climbers do too, there's another story there that feels to me like it's lost mm-hmm. or it's on its way to being lost. And I think that that's kind of tragic, you know, and and I'll still be doing it. And there's people that are really core that are still going to be doing it. 
And it's not to say that Rifle isn't full of people doing that right now, because it totally is. But very few people near or at the cutting edge are doing anything remotely similar to that. And and th- that's a shame because everyone looks up to them right. and follows in their footsteps. And also, those are the people that have the vision potentially to go to that crag and be like, there's another route here. Or there's a whole other crag over here that nobody saw before. Or it's too steep for the guys in the 90s or whatever it was, you know. And yeah, I just, I hope that people get psyched on that, you know. And there's a few... But it's just such a small group. And when I was coming up, I feel like it was everybody. It was all that we were all doing, you know. I guess the the point to me is that people are flying to, cl- to try XYZ thing, Arabea or something, where they could drive three hours and have a plethora of routes that just mm-hmm. might require a little bit of brushing or a little bit of like route finding right. or looking at it an old topo online or whatever it is you know and not to say that there's anything wrong with that i just i just feel like you know i could go to the verdon and i could look for something rad and it's not to say that i wouldn't because the verdon is incredible and that would be sweet but for the most part when i leave the u.s i am doing it for different reasons when i'm here this is my home and i feel a certain responsibility as a professional to make a contribution to this place my legacy I hoped to have here. Can't get enough of the runout, you say? Well, now there's a way to double your runout runtime. Become a rope gun by supporting us on Patreon, and you'll receive additional episodes and other bonus content, such as Q&As, op-eds, and Ask Me Anythings. If you feel like your climbing media is getting too watered down and safe, you're not alone. We need more independent, original voices in climbing because this is how we can keep the soul of our sport alive. That's our goal, and that's why we need your help. Please head over to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Remember, you're not here to clip bolts and fiddle around with gear. You're here to send. You are a rope gun. Again, that's patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. And now for the final bit. Today's final bit comes to us from James Lucas. James is America's favorite dirtbag, a writer, editor, and member of the 100-Foot Groundfall Club. James also once had a brief, undistinguished career as a stand-up comedian and still fancies himself working on his hour, though material is clearly hard to come by up in those boulders. Tommy Caldwell, Austin Syadak, and I were at the boulders the other night in Rocky, I was standing there barefoot and looking down at my horrible feet. I've got these massive bunions. I have to use pliers to get my shoes on just to crank the rubber over my beaver paddles and kind of yank them over my hammer toes. Austin, though, has these perfect feet. Like, he's got a tiny tuft of hair on his big toe. He could be a foot model. He's even, like, taking up supplementing his photo career by selling feet pics on Instagram. But like Tommy, he actually made me feel a lot better about my feet. He pulled his shoes off and he's got like horrible fungus on all his toes. They're really gnarly. Austin said he'd seen Tommy like yank a dead toenail off. Uh, 
in El Chal 10 a few years ago, but <clears throat> it made me realize that it's no wonder Tommy climbed so hard. The climbing companies pay him to keep his shoes on. You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kalous, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.